0: going to get back. Today we're going to talk about today's uh, individual message is called the big test. Locating me part 1, the big test. We're going to talk about the disciples and how they handled things on Passion Week. You see the disciples were homeschooled by Jesus. And uh, they had been walking with him, talking with him, seeing him minister for 3 years. And they had Ventured out and done a little things on their own, and if you'd asked them, they'd have said, "Man, I'm ready to graduate. I got three years under my belt." But how many of you look back and realize three years ago, man, I was dumb. <laughs> I can't believe how much I didn't know three years ago. If anybody do that, you look back a space of time and you realize I thought I, back then I thought I had it all together, but I didn't. Now I realize how dumb I was. And everybody that raised your hand and agrees, have have gone through that, then remember this. Three years from now, you'll look back on now, feeling the same way. So how many of us have it all together? (laughs) Huh? How many of us know everything? (laughs) I'm not raising my hand. (laughs) Well, Jesus knew these cats were a little bit sketchy. His disciples so at the last supper he squeezed every amount of knowledge wisdom love everything he could put into that last supper to try to get them ready for the upcoming pop quiz that they were about to experience and if you'll listen here today i think you might hear some things that will help you with your upcoming pop quiz are you ready well, first of all, I, I looked into four Gospels, all four Gospels detail the the uh, Last Supper pretty well, especially the book of John. Anyway, the first thing he's told them was how happy he was that we're going to eat this meal together. He was like, I'm glad we're going to do this. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come in there and say, oh, I'm glad to get this over with? <laughs> Boy, I'm going back to heaven. We're going to eat this one thing, and I'm gone. I'm out of here. No, he didn't feel that way. He was happy to eat the meal with him. He confirmed his love. Now, the things that I want you to listen as we go through these, these things that Jesus is telling them is getting them ready for the next test. And how many knows you're going to have a next test? So the things he's telling, this, he's cramming. He's helping them cram for the test. So these things might help you with whatever you're going through or a it about to be going through. Next thing he did was he got down on his knees and he put a towel around his waist and he began to wash their stanky feet. Even Judas, I believe, he was trying to teach them something called humility. God on his knees. That don't even sound right, does it? God on his knees washing people's feet trying to teach them something. The next thing he did was he instituted Holy Communion, as we know it, or the Last Supper. (laughs) But anyway, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave them the wine and the bread uh, was to symbolize something. It was to symbolize how his body was about to be broken and how they should remember that. Remember what he went through. He took the wine and he blessed it and he gave it to him. and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. I want you to remember how my blood was shed for you. He wanted them to never forget his sacrifice. So if you're taking notes, you'd be saying, I need some humility. I need to remember what Jesus has done for me. Then he went on and he, he revealed that somebody in here is going to betray me they all like, what, huh, me, no. No, what, what, is it me? How many of you know, well, we won't even go there. But they were like little Dory. You remember Dory and the fish story thing? What's it called? That's the only thing I remember is how her mind would switch gears so fast. You know, he's trying to tell them that somebody is fixing to betray me, and they... And five seconds later, they're arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is like, did, did y'all completely forget the foot wide, the, the foot And so he had to catch his breath, I'm sure, before he went on, calm his nerves, and he had to tell him a story about being servant leaders. Have anybody noticed that Jesus is patient with us? <laughs> Some of us are like that, like a little Dory. He goes on to give them a new commandment. Kind of important little thing about how we're supposed to love one another. how we'll be known for our love for one another. He warned Peter. He said, Peter, man, Satan wants to get you. Peter's like, ah, Satan can't have me, no way. You know. I've got this all under control. Jesus, I will never Betray you. These other cats, they don't know what they're doing, but I got you back. I got you back. Me and you, Jesus. Jesus told him about that rooster crowing. He said, After you fall, dummy, get back up. Do you know Jesus knows somebody in here is probably gonna fall eventually at one point in your life? It's a lot. We're in a marathon, not a sprint. People fall. They trip, they fall. But Jesus knows about it already. And he's saying, when you do, get back up. Don't run from me, Peter. Run to me. And when you get back up, strengthen your brothers. That that means once you fall, it's not over for you. I can't do anything for God now because he knows what I did. He knew you were going to do it before you did it. And he's saying, get back up and get back in your race. See, too many people, they mess up and they run from God. Wrong, wrong. Then he told them, someone here, to, uh, he said, everyone here tonight will betray me. They're like, what? No, no, Jesus, we won't. And then he makes the most incredible statement that I've ever heard a, a human being make. He said, I am the way, I am the truth. And I am the life. He says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, what kind of human being could make that statement? If that didn't wow him, he went on to say, Thomas? No, he said, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father confirming his deity. He told him, you know what, I'm going to go prepare a place for y'all in heaven gave him hope remember these are the things that'll help you through your test he encouraged them that the same works that i've been doing you'll do greater than that because i am going to the father and then he said this i'm going to send a holy spirit this is all during the last supper man he is just cramming them for the test he's trying to give them the answer you ever have a, a, a teacher at school give you all the answers for the test Don't you love that? He's given them all the answers. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, will come and live in you and give you the power to overcome. He reassures them of their Father's love. He lets them know that the Father loves you all too. He promises to leave his peace with them so they won't be all the whole time he's gone because they're... I mean they're used to walking with Jesus and they're like, man, Jesus, don't leave us. We're 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 about to have a nervous breakdown. But he says, No, I'll leave my peace with you. You'll have this inner peace. Anybody ever experienced that inner peace? He suggests they take a sword from now on. They think he's talking about their little chintzy cheap metal swords. I think he's talking about the word of God. I think he's saying you need your word of God with you wherever you go. Not just in your back pocket or in your hand. You probably need it in here. And then he does something that I just love. I love it. He prays out loud. They get a glimpse, and we get a glimpse, into Jesus talking to the Father intimately. Intimate prayer. And if if you've never read that, it's recorded for us in John chapter 17. And when you leave here, you may want to... Take that as a homework assignment. Read what Jesus says to the Father. And man, if them disciples couldn't get gassed up about that. He says, man, Father, I want them to be one like we're one. I want them to know how much you love them, that you love them as much as you love me. He goes on and on about how I know they're going to be in the world, but don't let them be of the world. Protect them from the evil one. He prays for us. That's what what Jesus' heart is when he talks to the Father, us. You'll see it in John chapter 17. We're not going there today. But he prays, and then they sing a song together. Kind of put them in tune. Soothe their hearts, I guess. You know, most of this I found in John chapter 13 through 17. I never realized that those power-packed chapters I always knew that they were some of the best stuff in there. If you've ever read John 13 through 17, like John 14 may be my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, talking about the Holy Spirit and all the power that we'll have and all that. But John 13 through 17, all of that was said in the Last Supper. I didn't realize that, but he saved the best for last, the most powerful. He's trying to get them ready for the test. Then he leads them to the garden to pray because it was at the garden where the test would be administered. Y'all remember the test? What do you do when the soldiers come against you? What do you do when the adversary comes? What do you do when it's stand up for Jesus or suffer the consequences? The big test was to be administered in the garden. Of course, he goes there to pray first, and despite the seriousness of the occasion, these knuckleheads can't stay awake one hour to pray. He comes back, and he finds them, and, and Jesus has been over there sweating great drops of blood. He's probably disheveled, looking his his head's probably his hair's matted to his face. He, it said he was, he was such, so distraught that the angels had to come and minister to him just to keep him on his feet. And he comes back and says, guys, couldn't you pray one hour? These guys think it's nap time. <laughs> yeah, Do you know that people just don't have a clue? And, and look at yourself and say, I'm a people. We don't realize the seriousness of the time in which we live. They didn't realize the seriousness of what was about to happen. Here we are living in the end times, don't realize what's about to happen. We're marrying and giving in marriage, all the things that they were doing back in Noah's day before the flood came. Not us. We're the faithful. We're the ones on the ark. But we are to be the watchmen on the wall. We are to be looking over the ark and say, Y'all get on board. Come in here with us. Safety. Come into Christ. The ark. Anyway. This whole scene gets bizarre. Judas comes bouncing up like it's hug a traitor day and kisses Jesus right smooth on the cheek. <laughs> and he's got the soldiers with him. And then Matthew 14:50 happens. You know what happens in Matthew 14:50? It says, "Then all his disciples deserted him. And ran away. Mm. All his disciples, even Peter, deserted him and ran away. From him now. Ran from him. The one who calmed the seas, the one who raised the dead, fed the multitudes. They didn't run to him, no. They didn't look to him for protection they ran from him. Why do people have a habit of running from God? Do they are they misconceived about his character? Have they not read John 17? Probably not. Then it gets really bizarre. In verse 51, one young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. And when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. I'm not making this up. And thus, all the disciples' spiritual nakedness was exposed. And it was none too impressive. They'd all proven to be immature disciples or pupils of the teacher. Immaturity, say immaturity. immaturity. He just warned them, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation for the flesh is weak but the spirit's willing, the spirit's willing but the flesh is weak. He just warned them. But clearly they'd been sitting in class, they'd been hearing but they hadn't been listening. You know there's a difference, are are y'all listening? Are you? Because sometimes I get glassy looks and now I hear snoring. <laughs> but you can, you can be sitting there nodding in agreement. I find myself sometimes praying and not paying attention. And I'm doing the talking. <laughs> We're like Dory, I'm serious. Am I telling the truth? We got to make ourselves. Some of you didn't like school, I understand that. Nobody on the front row over here I know. But if I called somebody from the church at random tonight and asked them what the service was about, what the sermon was about, would you be able to answer? That's probably what you'll remember. I'm serious, though. Sometimes I ask, you know, I used to preach in the youth, and I would ask my son or my daughter, mostly my daughter back then, What'd you learn? What what was service tonight? I asked my son, what's service about? Oh, Jesus and stuff. (laughs) A little safe answer, you know. I I asked people, you know, what the service was about sometimes. They don't remember. How is it doing you any good? Are you hearing but not listening? The disciples Prove prove it's true that you can be ever learning but not coming to the truth. They, w- they were still on the milk. They weren't ready for the meat. They were mentally ascending, saying, preach it, brother. Amen, brother. Woo-hoo. But they were poor in faith. They weren't ready to do nothing with it. It wasn't getting into the heart. You know, you can get into the head but not let it get down into the heart. They were all dressed up, no power to go. <laughs> Talking to talk, but not walking the walk. That's the thing you got to do. See, it, that's what you got to do. You got to do. It's not enough to hear it, you got to do it. James says, you know, you see what you're supposed to be, and then you walk away, you forget what manner of man you are. It's not doing you any good. You can hear. That's why you got people that's been in the church 70, 80 years, and their life ain't no different. They're hearing. But they're not listening, and they're not doing. And a lot of times I've noticed that the most opinionated folks in a church, the one who's, I don't like that. Y'all ought to do this. Y'all ought to do that. Y'all need to start one of these. They got all the plans, but when it's time to put it together, they gone. They ain't nowhere to be found. I guess they holding out for a management position. But, you know, Peter, at least Peter cut Malchus's ear off in the garden. He took out one of them little chintzy swords and he cut somebody's ear off. At least he did something. It was the wrong thing, but, you know, Jesus had to get on him. He said, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Put that away, Peter. And he kind of got on to him. But I bet in the back of Jesus' mind he was saying, yes, at least somebody did something. <laughs> you know, even if it's wrong, they did something with they, they had, you know, it meant enough that he did something. Something happened. Peter cut his ear off. Now, a fleshly response never gets you godly results. It just left Jesus to pick up the pieces. Pun intended. But I bet the disciples wish they was in Las Vegas because what happened in the garden didn't stay in the garden. It's embarrassing on them. I bet they're up in heaven now. They're all there reading that story. You know, Peter's probably he's probably used to it by now. But uh, these disciples, it's easy to look at them and say, man, they're so immature, they're so stupid. Why did they do that? You know, I used to look at the Old Testament and see these, these Israel. You know, they would follow their king into all this idolatry and stuff, knowing that God wasn't going to go with all that. They would do this stupid stuff that, you know, Moses went up on the mountain and they're all excited for God, and thirty days later they're, well, he ain't coming back. Let's make a golden calf. You know, it's like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> people can be a little flighty, immaturity. These guys weren't bad guys. These disciples, in fact, they had left everything to follow Jesus because they had good intentions. So before we start casting the first stone at them, we need to look at ourselves. Have we left everything to follow Jesus? And even if you do, there's going to be a time where you're immature and you're learning. That's part of it. That's part of it. That's all, all part of it. They weren't mature yet, even after a three-year course, you know. They weren't ready for the test. They had made bold claims, but when the chips were down, they gone. They running. They took off. Say so failed. Stamped. Failed. Not even an F+. Plus. There's a straight F. So how do we become the real deal? How do we become mature? How do we grow into somebody that that doesn't seem like a hypocrite? A lot of people look at the church, they say, that place is full of hypocrites. Maybe that place is just full of young Christians, immature, that's growing. There might be some hypocrites in there. But I think the church gets a bad rep because we're a hospital of hope, and there's sick people at a hospital. There's growing people at a hospital. There's people that ain't got it all figured out yet, you know. But we do want to become the real deal. We do want to pass our next test. We want to continue this progression towards maturity. How do we do that? Well, I wrote my ideas down. And uh, you can argue with me if you want to. I mean, it's your right to be wrong. I'm just kidding. kidding. Maturity takes time, I wrote. Would you agree? I mean, even in the natural, you're born a little infant. You grow into a little baby, to a little toddler. You turn into a kid. Then you become a preteen, a teen a young adult, eventually you should grow into a full-size adult. But all that takes time. doesn't happen overnight. Secondly, through our experiences, our faith is tried and tested, and our knowledge is slowly shaped into wisdom through experience, the things we go through. We get wisdom, and then when we go through it, Oh, I see, and we learn, and our our knowledge is shaped into wisdom, and wisdom is just the correct application of knowledge. You know, when you hear a wise person, that means he's not only knows a bunch of stuff, he's not a full of trivia, but he knows how to apply what he knows. He's a wise person. With faith, wisdom, and experience, and then one thing that is the secret, Ingredient that holds it all together. An ever-increasing closeness with the Lord. See, you're not going to do any of this right apart from him. Apart from him, I can do nothing. So you got it's got to be in the relationship. It's got to be him leading and guiding this deal. So an ever-increasing closeness with the Lord, a knower develops the courage To become a doer, which is the real deal. See, we've got to go from a place of knowledge to applied knowledge. We've got to go from a place where I, oh, I mentally assent. I agree. Oh, yes. Amen, brother. To putting what we believe into action. That is when you begin to show signs of being the real deal, really mature. How long does it take? Well, that depends on how much time you give God. If you're 80 years old and you've been giving God just one hour on Sunday for most of your life, you're probably having to part your beard to get the milk bottle still in your lips. You're probably still wearing a diaper. You have to give God time. You have to read his word. You have to to go to church. You have to hear sermons. You have to read books. You have to study the Bible. You have to meditate. All the things that you know that you're supposed to do. And when you give God time and you develop your relationship with him, then these things begin to uh, speed up. That's why you have some people hadn't been saved long at all. It's like, man, that's incredible. You know, I can't believe God did that. The question I would ask is, do you learn from your mistakes? Or do you just keep making them? You have to learn from your mistakes, and a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. Wouldn't that be smart? Not to have to make all the mistakes. I tell them teenagers, man, everybody at this church is trying to tell you how not to make the same mistake they did. And then y'all do the same thing. It's like, oh, what's wrong? We told you it was going to happen. Everybody thinks they're immune to the reaping and sowing thing. But whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. You're not the exception to the rule. The wages of sin is... And so if you sin, you're going to... Y'all are preaching real good. So you got to learn from your mistakes. You know... You don't need a parachute to skydive. You don't have to have a parachute to skydive. You just have to have a parachute to skydive twice. Ain't that right? Are you learning at church? Are you applying what you learned at home? Are you studying things out? God gave us the five-fold ministry gift. He gave us, he he said, I will build my church. Man, God is excited about church. It's like your university. It's like to take you to the next level. That's why we encourage you to, that's why we call it Next Level Wednesday, isn't it? We have a Next Level Wednesday. That's for the people who are hungry, that want to mature quicker. It's good that you're here on Sunday, man. Some people to come once on, a Sunday, once a month, man, that's a step up. <laughs> you know, you've, You've made a step past that Resurrection Sunday crowd. But guess what? We're open on Wednesdays too. And this Word of God is coming, and man, it's bringing you to the next level. There's more, there's deeper teaching sometimes on Wednesdays than there is here on Sundays. Because sometimes you got to kind of give the milk out on Sundays, but sometimes we get to into some meat on the Wednesdays. And see, it's all for you. It's all for your maturity process. Ephesians 4.13 says, This will continue until we have all come to such unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Isn't that what we're talking about? Maturity. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's our ultimate goal. What God set is our standard. We want to be there. Man, I don't know, somebody put some pepper out in the congregation or something. I bet it was a devil. (laughs) The maturing process always seems to be accelerated by life. In other words, life on this earth, earthly life could be described as one test after another. Have you noticed that? It's just like when, just when you get things going good, it's like, oh. Here comes another. James 1, 3 says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Mature, perfect and complete. Complete. How many would like to need nothing? (laughs) Yeah. We don't want to need nothing. But to see, we think need nothing means I, I got so much money I can buy whatever I want. But no, the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Maybe you can learn to live with what you got and be happy. Maybe you ain't got to have that house you thought you had to have or that amount of money because when you make those things what you need, you make them your idol. Man. See, the disciples didn't realize. They had made a big mistake. They had fallen. They had failed the test. And they, especially Peter, man, he went out and wept bitterly after he denied Jesus three times. He thought, that's it for me. I've lost it all. I've denied the Lord. And we feel like that sometimes when we, are, we get backslid and we leave the church and we go back to sin and Back to the pig pen. But those disciples didn't realize how close they were to making the grade. They were just right there. It was just a few little tweaks that needed to be made. Do you want me to tell you what those few little tweaks were? If I hadn't already yanked on your attention span too much? Soon they would see their Lord crucified. In real time, they looked up and saw Jesus hanging on a cross. Have you seen Jesus crucified? I mean, really. Is it just, is it real to you that Jesus died on your cross? Is what he did real to you? Does it move you? Is it in your heart, not just in your head? The Bible says, if Christ be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. You see, if you see him lifted up and you understand what he was doing, you understand he was God taking your place and suffering what he suffered and that how how his love held him there, it will change you. It will make an impression on you that you can't come back from. To know how much he loves you. That love is just a powerful force. It'll make you say, I don't want to sin no more. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt somebody that loves me that much. So they saw the Lord crucified. And secondly, they saw an empty tomb and a risen Savior. Is Jesus just some long ago character in a dusty old book? It has no relevance in society today? Or has he risen in your heart like the day star? Is because of his resurrection you know that you are resurrected? Does it mean something to you? Is his claims true? Is he the Messiah? Can you confirm it with everything that you are? Did he rise from the dead? Are you risen from the dead because of that? They saw him crucified, then they saw him alive. (laughs) Who? Who? But God Himself could say, I'm going in the tomb for three days, guys, but I'll be back. (laughs) I'll be back. Arnold Schwarzenegger ain't got nothing on Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said, I'll be back. And he was. And it's documented. You don't just have to believe the Bible. There was 500 people that saw it at one time. There were people that all these disciples went on to be martyred because they knew it was real. Nobody would die for a lie willingly. But because they saw him risen, it impacted them so that they were willing to give their lives. Then the third thing. Fifty days later, 40 days later, I can't remember, 50, on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that promise that he had sent them. Oh, my goodness. They're cowering in the upper room hoping nobody sees them, still hiding out. But when the Holy Spirit comes, they come down out in the streets. I'm telling you, brother, brother, brother Peter said, bring me something I can stand on. Got up, preached a message. 3,000 people came to the Lord. That message was so powerful. Why? Because now he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Are you filled with the Holy Ghost? <laughs> you, can, you can cower all your life. You can work out of your own strength as a human. Whoa, man, I can't even bench 250, you know? Or you can... Work with the same power that raised Christ from the dead inside of you. You can be filled with the Holy Ghost. Whoo! Three things happened real quick for these guys. They weren't as far away as they thought they were. These frightened young pups went on to shake up the whole world. They did. Before it was over with, they had spread Christianity all over the place, and now it's still going. It was once they settled what they believed in their heart. A man that double-minded, is wavering, is like a, a wave of the sea tossed to and fro. Let not that man think he'll receive anything of the Lord. Don't be like that. Settle it. Settle it. He is who he says he is. Believe it. He died on the cross for you. He was risen from the grave. And he sent his Holy Spirit to be your leader and guider. Then you'll become a warrior for Christ. If you continue to press into your relationship with Jesus and settle these same things in your heart, you're on the fast track to becoming mature, able to stand on your own spiritual legs when when the trials come. And there's always another trial coming. There he is. I, you know, I know it's been preached that if you have enough faith that nothing will have, bad will happen to you. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You can overcome your tribulation. You can overcome your trial. You can be in the fire and come out without smelling like smoke. Jesus will get in there with you. Jesus will be your overcomer because you've been made more than overcomer in Christ Jesus. You know the time to show ourselves to study and show ourselves approved to God is not later, it's now. It's now. When you come home one night and come in the door and there's an intruder in your house, that is not the time to whip out your pocket Bible says what does it say about God's protection in here? It already needs to be in there. No weapon formed against me shall prosper in Jesus' name. You need to know in whom you have believed and what you're standing on. It's now is the time to study to show ourselves approved. It's not tomorrow. Paul said to Colossians in Colossians 1.9, he said, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his, of his will and to give you a spiritual wisdom and understanding. See, that's what maturity is. Complete knowledge of his will. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your life will produce every kind of good fruit, praise the God. And all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. (laughs) Learning to know God better and better. Better and better. That's what I like. I want to know him more and more, deeper and deeper. I would say don't beat yourself up about where you are spiritually right now. You may have just gone through a test and failed it miserably, like the disciples. They didn't realize that they were on the edge of a breakthrough. Fifty days later, they're winning souls for the kingdom. You're right there. You just need a few little help. And, and and this ain't a church where we point fingers at one another. This ain't the kind of place where people are in a hospital and they're sick and we're playing you're sick, dude. You're sick. You're sick. You're not doing it right. Cuz when you point one finger at somebody, you got three more pointing back at you and you got one pointing up to God. You're blaming It's not the way it works. We got to be especially Patient and encouraging with the babies and the toddlers in Christ. I don't mean just the ones in the back. (laughs) Jesus exhibited what I would call patient persistence. He was patient with them. Sometimes he's like, man, I'd like to wring your neck. One time he said, how long shall I be with you? (laughs) But he would take a deep breath and exhibit patience. He was persistent. He was ever encouraging them to do what's right. But see, he had all the power and authority. He was Jesus. He did everything right. He had the right. He didn't have a beam in his eye. He could go to somebody else and tell them everything that was wrong. But even doing so, he was patient. Now, how much more should we be patient with other, each other? You know, the... The Holy Ghost is supposed to convict of sin. He's the one that teaches us and leads us. When we go picking out people's sins, things that you know God has already dealt with us about, and we start pointing them out, you need to do this. You ain't living right if you ain't doing this. Well, God may not even got there with them yet. He may be dealing with something else. You know, unless the Holy Spirit confirms and you know it's God, I would suggest letting the Holy Spirit work in each other. Letting, letting the messages speak. This is the, the avenue that God has chosen for us to deal with people's issues. Patient persistence. So let's recap. How are we going to get to spiritual maturity? Give God your time and your heart. Seek to go deeper. Develop faith and wisdom Learn from mistakes, yours and others. Really listen to the truth and apply what you hear. Put wisdom into action. Don't be discouraged by the next test because tests are coming. If you just settle in your heart what you believe, remember the cross, let Christ rise in your heart, you'll become a mighty warrior, you'll become mature, you'll reach that standard that Christ has set and you'll shake up this world for Jesus. Some of us are a little bit slower learners like I was at Mother's Day. I'm so glad to have a patient but a persistent wife. She's hung with me ever since I made that stupid comment last year. (laughs) (laughs) This day, this Mother's Day will be another test for me. <laughs> if I'll apply these lessons, you know, between now and then, I probably won't say anything stupid when it gets there. Is anybody in here located me today? Not just me, but would say I've located me in some of these scriptures today? Are you... Excited about the opportunity to begin to cram and study for your next test? Don't you want to pass a few tests? Have you noticed that once you start moving and things begin to snowball and you begin to roll over those tests and those D's start becoming B's and A's and pretty soon they're all A's and it's like, man, I got this this figured out. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's word.